Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and today's date is Saturday, February. Which day is it, Seb? February 4th, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. You know, one thing that truly fascinates your pal Sully, and I am not shy to talk about it, is my fascination with the what-ifs in the history of baseball. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if this bounced this way? What if this bounced that way? What if this person had done, made this decision or that? You know, and I've I've talked about, uh, you know, one that I I loved bringing up is when I was at the Polo Grounds in New York. And we had, uh, I talked about what if the Giants had signed Babe Ruth, as they tried to do. Uh, in fact, one of the things that your pal Sully is working on is a whole collection of these. And I've written, I've written about these. I've written about some of these things. What if the Pirates had integrated in 1938 when they had a chance to? What if uh, uh, Connie Mack relinquished control of his team earlier before he kind of ran the A's into the ground in decisions that affect the team to this very day? What if George Steinbrenner bought the Indians instead of the Yankees, as he tried to do? All these what-ifs are interesting. One what-if that I was thinking about is what if the Reds did not trade Frank Robinson? Now, let me tell you where this is coming from here. Because I was thinking, I was I was writing down the potential what ifs and things that were turned out to be boneheaded mistakes or everything like that. Frank Robinson was a product of Xavier University that's in Cincinnati, became a star on the Reds, and at the end of the 1965 season, the Reds traded uh Frank Robinson, to the Baltimore Orioles for Dick Simpson, Jack Balcham, and Milt Pappas. Now, on the surface, the trade did not look to be that terrible because the mindset was this. They needed pitching. Milt Pappas was a good pitcher. They got an outfielder to fill in, and Frank Robinson was 29. And they had the mindset of, hey, look it. Let's tr- let's get a three-for-one deal. There's a lot of talent on this Reds team. We're building up a good team. Let's trade Robinson when he's at his peak and get something good in exchange for him and build towards something good. Now, as it turned out, none of the players that I mentioned really were there when the Reds came to fruition, and the Orioles you know, took off and became a, a real juggernaut making the postseason in 66, back when the postseason meant the World Series, winning the pennant in 66, uh, 69, 70, 71, 
73, 74, 79, 83. I mean, you could point to that. And you can point to the fact that inserting Frank Robinson into an Orioles team and having him become the MVP, become the first player to win the MVP in both leagues. And he won the damn Triple Crown his first season in Baltimore and was the World Series MVP. I mean, you look, I mean, do you like traditional stats? He batted 316 with 49 home runs, 122 runs batted in. You like advanced metrics? He led the league in OPS. He led the league in total bases. He led the league in OPS+. Plus. You like uh, uh, you know, like saber metric numbers there? Uh, how did he do in war? I don't know. Uh, he was first in war. So, yeah, any way that you you cut and sliced his season, he had an amazing year. And it was the first time that franchise ever won the World Series. They never won the World Series when they were called the St. Louis Browns, ever. This was the first time a franchise ever won the World Series was with him. And they went from never having won the World Series and only appearing in the World Series once, and even that had a bit of an asterisk on it because it was a St. Louis Brown, not in Baltimore, and they were in the World Series because all the good players were fighting World War II. Now they won the World Series and became a juggernaut. And, you know, what would have happened had that not happened to Baltimore? Had they not received that jolt? And Robinson was, a, obviously, he led the team in 1966. Uh, by 1969, he was 33 years old and still posting an OPS of 955, still hitting 32 home runs. You know, by 71, he was 35 years old and still hitting home runs, still posting a super high you know, OPS around 900 or maybe a little bit less than 900, but still put up phenomenal numbers. And then the Orioles decided to move on. He wound up going to L.A. and then to the California Angels and eventually to the Indians where he became a player manager and his career kind of faded out afterwards. And he was a manager with the Indians. He was a manager with the Giants. He was a manager with the Orioles. He was a manager with the Nationals. He got elected to the Hall of Fame. And if anything, he's perhaps underrated. Now, there's one agonizing stat about about Frank Robinson, is he finished his career with 2,943 hits. He was 57 hits shy. And he played for 21 seasons. So if he got three extra hits a year, three times a ball fell in that got caught in each one of his seasons, he would have 3,000 hits. But do you know what? He has to answer to nobody. He was a rookie of the year at age 20. He hit 586 home runs. Man, he was so close to being the 3,000 hit 600 home run club. But you know what? Don't cry for a man with a career OPS of 926. Now, the what if, you know, what ifs tend to go in the direction of the, the team that made the dumb decision? That's the Cincinnati Reds. What if don't go for the teams that benefited? What if the Orioles didn't make that trade or didn't propose that trade? What would have happened to the Orioles? I don't know the answer to that, but I can't think that they would have become a juggernaut without having a bona fide superstar Hall of Famer leading the way. Or if they would, it would be a little bit harder. It's certainly easier when you plug a Frank Robinson in there 
especially a Frank Robinson with a chip on his shoulder. There's something, Frank Robinson was an intense competitor. And the fact that he was basically cast off and was told that he was basically on the downside of his career, you're darn right he was going to prove the world wrong. And Baltimore was the benefactor of that. Can you imagine if they hadn't won a World Series, if they were still the franchise that was sitting around never having won a World Series, they suddenly went from, man, will this franchise ever win to, to being like, oh, we just expect to be in the World Series at this point. Kickstarted that team. Kickstarted everything about that team. What it meant to be a Baltimore Oriole. Before that, there was just an extension of the St. Louis Browns. Yeah, they may have a decent season now and then, but you know, what, are they going to win a World Series? Yep. And not only that, they're going to face Koufax, Drysdale, the defending world champion Dodgers, who are going to win their third out of their third World Series in four years. Nope. Clean sweep. And not only a clean sweep, they shut them out the final three games. And it was Frank Robinson was the MVP with all that great pitching around him. So, I mean, what would have happened to the Baltimore Royals? I don't know. They'd probably be still on the outside looking in in terms of a championship drought. But the really weird thing or the wild thing for me is to try to figure out what would have happened if he stayed in Cincinnati. Now, one thing that is a distinct possibility, if he was a Cincinnati Red for life, and I think of, when I think of Frank Robinson, who I never saw play in person, so everything I'm thinking about him is based solely on his legacy old clips and reading about him. First thing first, I think of him as an Oriole. In fact, his hat in the Hall of Fame plaque is a member, is an Orioles cap. And yet he spent the most years in his career, 10 years, with Cincinnati. He was a rookie of the year in Cincinnati. He was the MVP in Cincinnati. He was fourth place in the MVP twice, ninth a couple times, gold glove winner. He led the league in slugging. He was the OPS leader three straight years. No one knew that. No one knew that he led the league in OPS in 1960 and 1961. And uh, 61, he was the MVP. Uh, He finished fourth in the MVP vote in 1962 despite leading the league in on-base, in slugging, in OPS, in OPS+, plus, in runs scored, in doubles, and in a long way hitting 39 home runs, driving in 136 and batting 342. He finished fourth in the MVP vote that year. My God, who came in first? If, if, if it's anything short of Kal-El, then that is a travesty. And the fact of the matter is he did that year in and year out for Cincinnati. Okay, here's, here's who, led the, who was the MVP that year when he was putting up those kind of numbers. I'm at BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, to get this. Okay, Maury Wills led the league in stolen bases with 104. Willie Mays led the league in almost everything. Except what Frank Robinson. I mean, that's. I mean, look at no, no offense to Maury Wills. This should have been a shootout between Willie Mays, Frank Robinson, and Hank Aaron. And instead, it went to Maury Wills. They used to not know how to to vote for awards. That's the only explanation. But 
Would he have gotten stale? Would he have gotten complacent? I sincerely doubt that. That's not who Frank Robinson was. That's not how he played. But here's the other question. If he had stayed with the Reds, how would things have gotten better? Now, there was a weird sort of, I don't want to say an FU, but a strange matchup in 1970 when Frank Robinson and the Baltimore Orioles won the World Series, their second World Series on, with Frank Robinson there. They went to the World Series in 1969 and famously lost to the Mets in that World Series. But they, made, they, they came back and redeemed themselves with a decisive um, five-game victory in the World Series in 1970. The team they beat, the team they beat were the Cincinnati Reds. So Frank Robinson took on, faced the Cincinnati Reds head-on in 1970 for the World Series. And the Reds were still looking for their first World Series title since 1940. Frank Robinson hit a pair of home runs, posted an 8-1-8 OPS, and the Orioles won, and he exacted revenge. But you know what? I can't tell if trying to superimpose Frank Robinson onto that Reds team would have made much of a difference in Cincinnati. Now think about this. Look at the, the, the Reds in 1970. The Reds in 1970 had Johnny Bench, who that year just, you know, as a catcher, hitting 45 home runs and posting an OPS of 932 is amazing. They had Tony Perez, hit 40 home runs, had an OPS of 990. They had Pete Rose, who batted 316 with some power and with some speed. They had uh, Lee May who hit 34 home runs and drove in 94 on his own. And, you know, you look at you know, Bernie Carbo, eventually a Red Sox hero, but, you know, he wound up hitting 20 home runs and posting an OPS of 1.004 in 125 games. Bobby Tolan, who was their center fielder there, he had a – he batted 316 and wound up stealing 57 bases and hitting 16 home runs for good measure. Frank Robinson's team won, and if you had imposed Robinson on that team, the only thing I could think of is you would he would play right field. I guess you would have Bernie Carbo come off the bench. I guess it would improve the bench. And a team with Johnny Bench? I mean, you're going to move Pete Rose to first? You're going to move Tony Perez to first? What are you going to do there? In that lineup, where would he fit? Of course he would fit somewhere because he's freaking Frank Robinson. But the thing that kind of hit me was that the Cincinnati Reds became one of the greatest teams of all time in the 1970s. And they did so with by the time they got to 75 and 76. The Reds had arguably the deepest lineup in, well, let's just say in their, in their era, because it can be very difficult to compare eras, compare and contrast. But to have a starting lineup of bench at catcher, Perez at first, 
Joe Morgan at second, Concepcion at short, Pete Rose at third, an outfield of George Foster, Cesar Geronimo, and Ken Griffey Sr. And that's right around the time that Frank Robinson's career was fading out. So he would not have been, if his career had gone with the same trajectory, he would not have been a starting player on that team. And he would not be being groomed to be the manager, as he eventually was for the other Ohio team in Cleveland, because they already had a Hall of Fame manager in Sparky Anderson. And say what you want, some people thought he was overrated, or this, that, or the other thing. It worked out kind of well. So the thing that I found interesting looking back at the Frank Robinson trade, it was a colossally bad trade. And yet it didn't really affect the Reds. It was not a devastating trade. It didn't crush the Reds. Because in the years to follow, they became a juggernaut. Would it have been, would they have won more World Series with Frank Robinson? I don't know. Maybe they would have won in 1970. Maybe they would have won uh, another one here or another one there. But how are you going to do better than what the Reds did? Winning a pennant in 70, winning another pennant in 72, making the playoffs in 73, winning back-to-back World Series in 75 and 76, and another trip to the playoffs in 1979. Is Frank Robinson as great as he was? Is he going to approve on that? And do Cincinnati fans look back at the 1970s as a decade? Like, oh, if only the, we could have fulfilled our, our promise. They went from being a team that's from 1940 to 1970 saw one pennant. The year they got their butts kicked by the Yankees in 1961. They won the World Series in 1940. They won the pennant in 1970. And became a juggernaut. So it makes me wonder when people list some of the great bad trades in baseball history. Inevitably, the Frank Robinson trade is mentioned in that. And I was writing up the great what ifs. And I was trying to think, what if? Well, what if? I mean, the only way it's a what if is in the Orioles' side. What if they didn't pull off that trade? What if the Reds said no? Then I do believe the Orioles don't win those World Series. They don't set a culture of world championships in Baltimore. But what if for the Reds, what if they kept them? How could it have been better? Seriously. Would it have been overkill? They would already be loaded with Hall of Fame hitters up and down their lineup. They they already became the juggernaut and one of the teams that are used to describe the greatness of 1970s baseball. Were they supposed to do more? You know? I remember... Yeah, I remember once when, when during collusion, when uh, you know players weren't signing with the teams because owners were trying to collude and drive down the free agent prices. And we found out that the Minnesota Twins had a chance to sign Jack Morris before the 1987 season. 
And I remember saying to my dad, man, imagine if the Twins signed Jack Morris. And my dad said, well, they won the World Series. How would it have been any better? And I thought, yeah, I guess you're right. And that's what I feel as I was trying to figure out, oh, man, just imagine if the Reds had kept Frank Robinson. Well, then what? Then what? What, they would have had a good 1970s? I'm going to go out on a limb and say they already did. I think it worked out well. Was it a bad trade? Yes. Was it a disastrous trade? No. Because if it was a disastrous trade, it would have derailed the franchise. It would have been something that you look back upon and say, oh, this is killing us. We're haunted by this. Yes, Frank Robinson got the last laugh head to head. But it was just the beginning of the greatness of Cincinnati, who made a dumb trade, but were able to absorb it. And I guess that's one of the things that great teams can do. Not that Milt Pappas really helped them win anything. But keep one thing in mind. When the Reds finally did trade Milt Pappas, they got back Clay Carroll. And Clay Carroll became a multiple all-star and one of the key relievers in the 1970, 72, and 75 playoffs. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, when the Reds finally won the World Series in 1975, the winning pitcher of Game 7 out of the bullpen was Clay Carroll, who they got for Milt Pappas, who they got for Frank Robinson. So, in a roundabout way, it worked out for the Reds. Maybe not Hall of Fame worked out, but they had enough hitters with Carroll they got a bullpen. Am I stretching it a little bit? Eh, maybe, but that's okay. So, go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the fourth day of February, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.